I don't want to be in a place where my kids can't safely eat venison or you're like, you have to totally change our heritage around the way we deer hunt. The so-called zombie deer disease is feared by hunters to be the biggest threat to big game hunting in North America. But controlling its spread is just as much a political problem as it is a scientific one. From the Minnesota Reformer, this is Reformer Radio. I'm Max Nesterak. Chronic wasting disease is spread by something called a prion, an infectious protein that can contaminate plants and the soil for years. Prions aren't like viruses or bacteria. You can't just take a Clorox wipe and wipe off the counter and call it a day. It hasn't been shown to infect humans yet, but experts fear it could, like mad cow disease, which is also caused by prions. You know, if you eat one thing that's infected maybe you're fine, but if you're a family like mine where venison is our primary protein source, uh, you know, that's a different concern. This week, a conversation with State Representative Jamie Becker Finn about what's causing the spread of chronic wasting disease and what the state could do to stop it. It's Friday, August 13th. Representative Jamie Becker-Finn, thanks for being here. Yeah, great. To, I'm always ready to talk about chronic wasting disease. <laughs> well, this issue of chronic wasting disease infecting deer is personal to you because you're an avid hunter. And so I want to start by asking you how you learn to hunt and, and what it means to you. Yeah, so I, you know, growing up uh, an Ojibwe person on the reservation up north, I'm I'm from Leech Lake, uh, Cass Lake area, you know, it really is a way of life. I think um, for a lot of us, it's almost part of our identity, you know, that the things that we do with the seasons are very important, um, you know, kind of um, almost a spiritual thing for a lot of us. And I grew up, you know, with my following my dad around in the woods and learning about hunting that way from from my family. And it's, you know, it's really, it's actually the one time in the entire year that I see all of my cousins at the same time. We don't all come back for Christmas at the same time. You know, there are no other times of the year where we all come back to the same place and that's, that's deer hunting. So it's really an important part of my family and just, uh, you know, a way of life uh, up north. You know, they, they discovered chronic wasting disease more than 50 years ago, I think in 1967. But I'm curious when you became aware of it. Yeah, I think it was one of those things that I was like vaguely aware of as someone who has hunted my whole life in northern Minnesota up until the last couple of years. It was not something that we had to actively worry about uh, as deer hunters in the northern part of the state. But then um, as I got to know hunters from other parts of the state uh, as part of my legislative work, uh, really started to learn more about it. And, and we've really we've had a lot more of it um, being found in our state. Uh, and so it's really become, you know, really in the last five years or so has really sort of picked up steam as something that's impacting more and more deer hunters. I'm curious. So let's talk about what chronic wasting disease is. And I think you're well positioned to, to explain what that is having dug through the research. Yeah. So um, chronic wasting disease or CWD is a prion based disease. So it's not a virus. It's not bacteria. It's not fungus. It's a prion. And a prion is a misfolded protein is the best way to think about that. And most people understand it best. Uh, it's very similar to mad cow disease. That's also a prion disease. So uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is the human form of that disease, it, it affects your 
other neurological, your brain systems. Um, and in deer, it is always fatal. There is no cure for it. And one of the other things about chronic wasting disease that's really important is that it's not the kind of thing where um, if an animal is infected, you're not going to know from looking at it. At the very end of the disease, as they're, you know, which could be two years from when they, they pick up the disease, uh, it becomes more obvious. But you wouldn't know from a deer that you shot in the woods by looking at it. It could look perfectly healthy on the outside while, um, you know, the, the prions are really kind of doing their work on the inside. So that makes it hard. So you can't tell just by looking at the deer you're going to shoot uh, whether it has it or not. Hmm. And what do we know about how it's transmitted? Uh, so we've learned more and more. We have some really kind of uh, cutting edge research happening at the University of Minnesota, as well as uh, other places throughout the United States and Canada. But um, so we knew for sure that it could be uh, it can be transferred through bodily fluids. So, you know, blood, urine, saliva. Um, when we're talking deer and the deer industry, we're also talking semen. There's a whole market for that. Um, and those prions can really live in any of those kinds of bodily substances. And what we know now, too, is that it can continue to live in the soil. It can be taken up through plants and be detectable in plants that grow in soil that's infected with those prions. And that's why it's so dangerous. Uh, prions, they continue to kind of evolve and change and they can they can live in the environment for a very, very long time. And so that's another one of the sort of wrinkles in making it a hard thing to deal with. So there have been no reported cases of CWD in humans, according to the Centers for Disease Control Prevention. I think given its prevalence across America and in deer and elk, I have to assume that lots of people have probably eaten contaminated meat over the years. And so I'm wondering why it's concerning to you if we're not yet sure that it can eating infected meat can affect humans you know i think it's it's similar enough to mad cow that i think you know, initially with mad cow, people are like, ah, I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's going to pass on to humans. Let's not worry about it. But as it turns out, it it can build up over time. And I think that's one of the concerns. So, you know, if historically we've not really had chronic wasting disease in the state, but um, it becomes more widespread and then we have more people eating the infected meat, you know, we don't know that it doesn't cause harm. We just, you know don't have the facts yet, but it's a serious enough consequence that, you know, we're talking about Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease is, you know, incurable, it affects your brain, you know, really a serious thing you would not want to get. And so I think that's the concern. There have been studies that showed uh, brain issues in um, monkeys who ingested uh, meat that had uh, chronic wasting disease prions in it. And so, you know, all of that is is really concerning. There also was a, a really new, um, you know, hasn't we don't totally know for sure yet, but I, one of the recent stories was about someone who, a longtime prion researcher who, de who just recently developed, uh, you know, a, that type of disease. And mm. so... Um, you know, is it a, a controlled study where we can say for sure that's that's why he developed it? I don't know. But, um, you know, it certainly is concerning if we know there's somebody who's been working with those for a long time. Um, some of the theories are also that it can build up over time. So, uh, you know, if you eat one thing that's infected, maybe you're fine. But if you're a family like mine where venison is our primary protein source, uh, you know, that's a different 
concern. And, uh, you know, and that kind of ties back into, uh, you know, where I grew up and a lot of folks in rural parts of our state, especially, you know, not always, but and especially in our tribal communities, you know, that venison is a is a big food source. So, you know, we potentially have those populations ingesting more of it. And I would rather, you know, we'd rather head it off at the pass than um, wait until it's too late. You said your primary source of protein for your family is venison? It is. So well, you're you're hunting your deer in, in the fall and that's what you're eating for the entire year? Yes. And I mean, wow. it isn't, um, I mean, for a lot of people who are big hunters, you know, we have a separate freezer. And, um, you know, I know now uh, based on how much my family eats. My kids are, are both in elementary school, but, you know, they eat more and more every year. You know, we know between my husband and I that ideally we need at least three deer, you know, unless one of them's really big uh, to get us through the year. Um, I should point out, so the DNR recommends not eating contaminated meat, and they've started offering free testing for um, deer that you kill in certain contamin in certain areas of the state and so is that something you do that you get your deer tested uh so actually up until this coming season we didn't hunt in a region where it was considered uh you know at risk you know because we didn't have any positive cases within a certain radius but now that we have a positive case in beltrami county um, it actually implicates three different tribal nations uh red lake leech lake and white earth and so um there are a lot more people who are going to be wanting to have their their deer tested. And, uh, you know, one concern I have, too, this will be the first year that we are needing to to have our deer tested is the delay in getting the results. Um, if you butcher your own deer and uh, the temperature outside is above freezing, you can't, you know, you need to butcher it pretty quickly or you need to find a way to, you know, preserve it safely. And so um, I think that's going to be one of our big challenges uh, as more and more people are impacted and needing to get tested. Well, walk me through what that challenge is for people who, like me, who don't hunt of uh, that waiting period uh, for getting the meat tested. So especially if you butcher your own deer, you know, typically you, you bring it home in a trailer or in your truck and you a lot of people butcher it in their garage or in their yard and um, and you, you got it in the field. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it, it would be easy enough to wear gloves for that process to keep yourself from being, uh, you know, from having contact with any potential uh, prions in, in the tissues. But, you know, if I bring it home to the garage and I dropped off the sample at the DNR site and I'm waiting two weeks, what do I do with that animal in my garage? You know, and this is sort of interesting, I guess, is, you know, maybe there's the climate impact of all of this, too. You know, growing up, it was always pretty cold. And so it wasn't a big deal to have a deer hanging in your garage for, you know, some people, you know, have different opinions about how it impacts the meat and whether you want to hang it or how long to hang it. But if it's too warm, that really isn't it. You know, it doesn't um, the meat doesn't keep. And so. If I have to, if I'm told I have to wait two weeks to get my results for the chronic waste, so I'm either I'm going to do all that work, so so I'm going to actually butcher the animal with my hands, and you know it's a pretty intense, obviously like hands-on process to butcher an animal. So you're exposing yourself to all those tissues throughout that entire process. You're, I mean, it's hours of work. It's hard work. Um, and then what, I'm going to put it in my freezer and not eat any of it. And then I'm. what if I get a result that it's positive? And now, I, now all of a sudden that 
that meat in the freezer that was going to feed my family for the year I, isn't safe for me to eat. And so for these prions that, you know, can live on plants from urine or feces or intestines for years and years, I bring that into your garage and kind of cutting it up. It's, that's why it's concerning. Absolutely. And then what happens if we get two deer in the weekend and we're going to butcher both of them in the garage, then what I have to like sanitize all my equipment in between the two deer. Um, it just, it, it's, it starts to get really unworkable when you think it through from the point of view of the actual hunter and especially those of us who butcher our own meat. Um, as well as, I mean, it's really, it's a small scale butchers in rural Minnesota do this. And what we have started to see in Southern Minnesota, is some of them are refusing to do it because it's just not, not worth the risk to process a deer if it means I'm potentially you know, putting all of my equipment and everything else in my facility at risk of of needing to be sanitized. So, and it isn't, prions aren't like viruses or bacteria. You can't just take a Clorox wipe and wipe off the counter and call it a day. Um, you know, it's a higher level. It either needs to be heat or, um, you know, a really strong bleach solution. Um, the options aren't quite as workable as what we're used to with other things that we, um, other foodborne illnesses. You know, what What you're describing, it sounds like it has some pretty serious economic impacts, both from tourism of, are you going to want to go hunt in Beltrami County to use the local butchers who will um, you know, butcher that deer for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the other thing, you know, if you don't care about the meat ass, you know, don't, you don't care as a hunter, but you care about our rural economies. It's, it's a huge deal. And, um, you know, we, we can see in the license sales of people who are, so when you buy your hunting license for people who aren't, aren't used to it you you put in the the their zones throughout the state and they each have a number and so uh when you buy your hunting license you put in the zone you're intending to hunt in and then when you kill a deer and you register that deer with the dnr you you tell them for sure which zone um you killed that deer in and so um you know we can see the license sales being impacted in the zones with the highest rates of cwd you know people are choosing to not hunt there anymore and what does that mean for the local cafe in preston what does that mean for the bar what does that mean for other folks who who make money off of people coming coming to hunt walk me through the regulations that currently exist to try to prevent the spread of CWD and any other steps the state has taken? Yeah, so we, um, there are, if you are in one of the CWD zones, it's sort of, it's on you as a hunter to know that when, you know, typically when you buy your license, you know, whether you buy it online or you buy it, you know, at a local sporting goods store or, you know, sometimes, uh, I often buy my my fall licenses at the at the state fair at the DNR booth. It's also a, a fun option. Um, you get a booklet, and you got to go through that booklet, and there are maps in there, and you have to sort of read through every year and see what the regulation. I mean, if you're doing it right, <laughs> that's what you're doing. And so, um, within the CWD zones, you can't transport a full carcass deer out of those zones. That's one. Um, one regulation that's in place, you know, the idea being, well, at least let's not transport this to other parts. Uh, you can quarter a deer and bring, you know, you're leaving sort of the spine and the the head where you killed it. Um, but if you want to bring, you know, the the meat in the to to some other part of the state, you are allowed to do that because it just becomes 
really difficult um, with all the different ways that people uh, process their deer. And, you know, every family, you know, <laughs> processes their deer maybe a little bit differently with what, what their needs are. And so um, we do have those regulations in place. We also have an adopt a dumpster program is what we call it. We kind of um, borrowed that concept from Wisconsin where the state pays for dumpsters so that um, that potentially infected uh, spine, spinal column, and sort of the the parts of the deer that aren't u- highly used can go in that dumpster, so that we don't have a situation like what we have uh, now in Beltrami County, where uh, the the owner of the captive deer facility was dumping carcasses on public land, and that I, it, it sounds um, I don't think it's that that's as unique as it might sound to some people. Um, you know, certainly I know folks up north who you, you drag the carcass and you let the, the animals go to town on it or people feed it to their dogs. Um, and so we're trying to remove those potentially infected carcasses from the landscape so that they're not, you know, you don't have other animals and critters moving around those infected pieces because it really becomes um, an impossible uh, thing to put back in the box. Hmm. What I'm curious what the state hasn't done that you think it should do to try and control the spread. So one of the primary vectors, certainly not the only vector, uh, but one of the primary vectors is through captive deer facilities. And so uh, some people refer to those as deer farmers, but uh, I'm always careful to to really call it what it is. It's not I think when people hear farmer, you know, they think of like, Oh, they're, you know, their uncle who, you know, has a couple acres and raises cows or or something like that. And really a lot of these these facilities kind of run the gamut from uh, folks who collect uh, deer urine that's sold as a um, an attractant that some hunters use. Uh, so that's one way that people might be using it. It, it certainly isn't just for venison meat. There might be like uh, um a roadside, you know, kind of mini zoo situation that also is, is um, those folks are also licensed as deer farms. And one of the most, I think, uh, troubling aspects is the, are the folks who raise domesticated white-tailed deer and other animals, and then folks come in and pay to shoot those animals. Um, You know, some people refer to those as canned hunts. Um, I personally don't call them hunts because, you don't even need a hunting license to do it. There are no regulations on what kind of weapons you can use. Um, and folks will pay a lot of money to kill a buck with a big rack, even if that rack is something that would never exist in the wild. You know, they feed them special food. They move um, sort of the big breeding bucks get moved around the state to breed with different animals because there's there's big money in it. I mean, if you look up online and look up um, some of these facilities, you know, folks might be, you know, paying upwards of over ten thousand dollars to to kill wow. an animal. Uh, so that all becomes really dangerous um, because you're moving animals around a lot. So can you help me understand? So if deer are pinned in into these deer farms with fences and maybe being transported to another fenced-in area, why is it affecting the wild deer population? Uh, so a couple things. Uh, one, uh, fences uh, often have problems. Uh, so one of the one of the things that's been talked about is double fencing. You know, as a way to prevent that. But you know, particularly if you have a couple acres of land and you have a storm, um, and there may be places that you don't 
don't know. Also, deer are able to jump a fence uh, much easier than uh, a fence that uh, a cow would be able to escape from. So there certainly are escapes uh, either, you know, by accident. Actually, most of the escapes, uh, the last, uh, my last discussion with the Board of Animal Health were often from just human error of leaving a gate open. Um, and then the deer is out in the wild and interacting with animals in the wild. There's also sort of the the problem of uh, nose-to-nose contact through the fence. Do deer do that? Do they come up and touch each other's noses through a fence? Uh, they certainly could, yeah. Mm. I mean, especially if you're, you know, depending upon the time of the year or breeding season, you know, things like that. Um, you know, is there food on one side of the fence? You know, there's just, there's a, there's a lot of different um, factors with that. Deer and, and to some extent now elk are the only species that we farm on one side of a fence and then our wild native species on the other side of the fence. So it's really a kind of a unique situation. What do you think the state should do as it pertains to these deer farms? Yeah. So number one, I think that we need a moratorium on any new deer farms for sure. We don't want to be encouraging people uh, to get involved uh, in this business, particularly right now. If anything, we should be encouraging folks to look at other options um, just because it's so high risk. So there's also been talk about a buyout. I think that's also, you know, more than fair, uh, I think. uh, So because it's an agricultural you know, a domesticated animal, typically even when we have these deer farms where we have multiple deer that are infected, um, they are reimbursed by the the federal government um, for those animals. And so um, it just isn't a business that we want to encourage people to be a part of. And certainly more restrictions on the movement of animals. Um, Often there's, they'll Folks who work in that industry will talk about, oh, we're the most highly regulated industry. And yet, (laughs) um, you know, they're required to keep records. But who's double checking to make sure that they're keeping the records? You know, who's double checking um, on all of those things? And then when you start to think about what it would take to actually regulate a business that closely, then I really think you have to start weighing um, what's the overall good and what's the overall risk. And is this something really that... um, we want folks to be investing in at all. So you're a progressive member of the DFL caucus. You're coming out hard against deer farms and for regulations for CWD. That's something that the also the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association um, has done. I think that association probably includes a fair number of Republicans and people who don't agree with you on lots of other things. So I'm wondering if you could map out where the political fault lines are around this issue and and why it hasn't been easier to um, do some of the things that you've suggested. Yeah. So first, I will say that I I think hunting overall is not a very partisan issue. I think some people think that it would be because uh, you use a gun to do it. But, um, you know, as you as you noted, yes, I am generally very you know progressive in my views, but I've been a gun owner my my whole, you know, since it was uh, I actually won a shotgun in a raffle when I was still a baby. So um, at a Ducks Unlimited (laughs) raffle. So, you know, I grew up around guns and it's more of a you know, a rural issue, I think, and uh, hunting families really are more diverse than folks realize. Um, but I think to your question, the biggest problem is that the deer farms, and I'm doing air quotes, um, it's seen as an agriculture issue. And so it sort of activates those who want to side with the egg lobby at all costs. They don't want to be seen as not being strongly for egg. Um, 
instead of seeing that this is really a unique situation and is not like other parts of agriculture. Um, I will also say, you know, some of the pushback I get sometimes is like, oh, if you're going to regulate hunting, it's you're actually, you know, sort of the conspiracy theorist end of things where folks think there's some like way that we're trying to get people to stop hunting which, you know, is is crazy to me. Um, I, you know, that that isn't where, where really any of us are coming from. It's, um, you know, wanting to protect that heritage. And I don't, I don't think it's generally a, a partisan issue, but it's definitely the, if folks, uh, especially, you know, other legislators sort of have it in their brain that, well, this is an egg thing, I must protect egg. It's, it's almost like some of the critical thinking stops. Um, at that point. And we just don't have the full real conversation that I think we we need to have. And I think the public would want us to regulate this. There, are, um, Last time I checked, around 200 uh, captive deer businesses in the state and, you know, half a million deer hunters. So I, you know, it's really clear to me where um, the public is at and, and where their values are. But um, we as legislators are not always good at uh, <laughs> at seeing that. I'm wondering if we you could look out into the future for me, and I know you don't have a crystal ball, but given your concern and the work that you're trying to do now, what is your biggest fear about what's gonna what CWD is gonna do to the deer population? So I think uh, if you look at what's happened kind of in the southeast bluff region of the Bluffland, you know, region of Minnesota, it's really almost endemic. You know, every year we get more and more positives when we test for it. And my fear is that we end up in a place where that the whole state um because we allowed it from to jump from facility to facility to facility, which in the case of northern Minnesota, you know, the positive in Crowen County was directly related to a facility. The positive in Beltrami County with the illegal dumping is directly uh, tied to a facility that we then get to a point where one, maybe new hunters that we're trying to recruit are like, I don't even want to get into this. This sounds like a like too much or folks stop hunting. Um, hunters play a really important role in the conservation and, and sort of like controlling the population uh, of, of our deer. You know, we actually, we need hunters to do their You're the role. apex predator. Right, right, right. We we need, our state needs hunters um, to, to help us with that statewide. Um, I think also, you know, as we talked about with the, the butchering aspect and the I don't want to be in a place where my kids can't safely eat venison or you're like, you have to totally change our heritage around and traditions the way, the way around the way we deer hunt um, to, to keep your, keep yourself safe and healthy. Um, you know, I think that's just um, the tradition. And I will note too, in Minnesota, we have a constitutional right to hunt and fish. And so um, I think if we, we go too far, uh, it's going to be really hard to um, to protect those traditions. Representative Jamie Becker-Finn, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This show was produced by me, Max Nesterak, and edited by Patrick Kulkin. Special thanks to Johnny Vince Evans, who composed our theme. If you have ideas or feedback, you can drop me a line at max at minnesotareformer.com. 
make sure you're subscribed to our daily newsletter with the latest news on politics and policy from across the state in your inbox every weekday morning. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.